everybody, welcome to the export. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I am sure is happy to see his Titans get their first win of the year. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, and it definitely felt good to, for my squad to get that first dub. And I think we're gonna get our second one this this week. Who y'all play again? Because I do not remember. The coach. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's definitely plausible. But we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we are going to recap this past week of action as well as talk about some high-profile retirements that have taken place over the week. With, with regards to the NBA, we are going to talk about the M.A. Uduka situation in Boston because it has just been a hot mess of hot messes. But before we get to any of that, please sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. As we start off every episode during this time of the year, we got our college football player spotlight. And this week it is going on junior running back out of Texas, Behan Robinson. Despite Texas's loss to Texas Tech last weekend, he rushed for over 100 yards and had two touchdowns, further cementing him status as one of the top running backs, if not the best running back in this upcoming class. Ethan, I know you're a big fan of big bruising running back, so in your opinion, what team do you think would be the best fit for him? Uh, I think the team that could be the best fit is a team that's still trying to figure out if they want to keep their big bruising running back that they have now. I would say the um, Las Vegas Raiders. And the reason being is because they have questions around do they still want to keep Josh Jacobs in tow. And he he's had good, he's had good moments and he's also had some not-so-good moments. And I think when you're a team that has, like, Firing playoff on uh, aspirations, you could bring it and like being a multifaceted team. Like we all know that they have Derek Carr and he's their guy, and they now they have Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, and they're going to spread the football around. But from an offensive standpoint, if you could bring in a running back that can, um, especially when you get in the later portion of the playoffs when the weather's cold. Um, the throwing conditions aren't as great. If you could bring in a physical running back, that could be a great boost to, to the um, Raiders thing. I think that that would be a nice move, especially because they didn't pick up the fifth-year option for Josh Jacobs, so that could potentially lead to some changes across the board. Um, For me, I said the Arizona Cardinals. I think that we all know how great that Deion, that um. Kyler Murray is and how especially how much better he is when DeAndre Hopkins is on the field with him as well Hollywood Brown is top five in receptions this offense this passing offense is fine however their run game is where a lot of problems come in I know that this past offseason they gave an extension to James Conner but James Conner is kind of proven to be a bit unreliable and isn't the touchdown machine that he was last year and so because of that I do think that bringing in a back like behind Robinson would definitely provide an extra boost to their offensive backfield and make defenses have to respect the run as opposed to expecting passes all the time but all right let's go ahead and recap week three of action starting with Thursday night football the Cleveland Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 29 to 17 uh, the Minnesota Vikings came back against the Detroit Lions 28 to 24. My Baltimore Ravens defeated the Patriots 37 to 26. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Seattle Seahawks 27 to 23. Panthers 
I guess you can call it an upset. The New Orleans Saints, 22-14. Bears beat Texans, 23-20. Colts pulled off the upset against the Chiefs, 20-17. Eagles put up Kobe numbers against Washington, winning 24-8. Dolphins edged out Buffalo, 21-19. Cincinnati defeats the Jets, 27-12. Tennessee, like I mentioned, got the first win of the year, beating the Raiders, 24-22. Jags upset the Chargers, 38-10. Rams beat the Cardinals. 20 to 12 green bay packers defeat the pack the buccaneers i'm sorry 14 to 12 and then sunday night football the denver broncos win the punning battle defeating the 49ers 11 to 10 with the cowboys taking home monday night football victory 22 to i mean 23 to 16 both you and i ethan went nine and nine for the week so you know pretty average at best And unfortunately, there's quite a bit of injury news, so I'm going to try to run through them. Chargers got hit in the trenches, losing star left tackle Rashawn Slater for the year with the ruptured bicep. Uh, Defensive lineman Joey Bosa is going to be out for the next at least month with a groin injury. Patriots possibly will lose quarterback Mac Jones for the next few weeks with a high ankle sprain. 49ers suffer a huge blow, losing star left tackle Trent Williams with a high ankle sprain. His return is expected within the next four to six weeks. Michael Hyde, safety for the Bills, is out for the year with a neck injury. And as you note, as a Tennessee Titans fan, Taylor Lewan, our left tackle, is out for the year with a knee injury. So, Ethan, let's kind of look at the Chargers losing both Rashawn Slater and Joey Bosa. I know that both are big blows, but if you had to pick, which one do you think is going to be the hardest to overcome for them? I'm definitely going to say Joey Bosa. Um, Rashawn Slater, he's a tremendous talent on the offensive line. But they also have other good pieces around um, his position on the whole line that you could potentially you could potentially make up for that loss. But I think when you lose a game changer like Joey Bosa, especially when you're in a division like theirs, where you have um, honestly you have good quarterback play to an extent on every team and every team that you'll potentially face might have a really good quarterback and you get in positions to where like say, you know, you play the Chiefs and we know how the Chiefs love to come back from from big deficits. When you have a guy when you're missing a guy like Joey Bosa, you're giving them better chances to come back from huge deficits. And you're giving yourself you're losing the chance to potentially come back yourself because you can't you can't make game changing plays. I would have to say Joey. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say Rashawn Slater. I think that the Joey Bosa injury would hurt a lot more if they didn't at least have Khalil Mack in tow. I mean, we've seen Khalil Mack be the guy for years, so I think that he can continue that. But Rashawn Slater, I mean, this was offensive line coming in that already had a lot of problems. The only pieces that they knew for sure would work out would be – I'm sorry, I can't even think. Corey Lindsley, but I believe he's injured. And then Rashawn Slater. But now Rashawn Slater not only being injured – for a short time, but for the whole season, I think that's going to be a massive blow to what the Chargers are hoping to do on offense. And especially if you look at Justin Herbert already kind of being banged up with a rib injury, which we'll get to later. I mean, I think losing Rashawn Slater, as you mentioned, especially because each team has made a concerted effort in that division to improve their pass rush, 
it's going to be tough sledding for Justin Herbert, especially having time in the pocket. So hopefully they'll be able to figure something out and somebody can step up. But I think losing Rashawn Slater is a tough blow. But uh, speaking of Justin Herbert, that's actually what's going to kick off our top five takeaways of this past week of action. With my number five takeaway being Justin Herbert should have sat out week three. Ethan, you and I kind of talked about it uh, prior to well, during last week's Thursday night game, where even before the game was over, I was like, if the Chiefs score a touchdown here, I don't know if I put Justin Herbert back in. You could tell that he was clearly in pain. He had suffered a tough rib injury, and it was kind of questions of if he was going to be at that level. He ended up leading almost what could have been a comeback victory over the Chiefs. Couldn't get it done. But you could tell watching that game against um, Jacksonville that he was getting beat up and he was in serious pain. I know that they still lost the game with him in, but I think that they might have done themselves a bit more of a favor by taking him out and letting him sit out this week. Uh, I'm actually going to agree with you. That's my number five as well. Just when you have a guy like Justin Herbert who is the future of your franchise in a main, in my opinion in a mainly like it's regular season and we all know that the Chargers are a team that has playoff aspirations so in a meaningless game against the Jaguars that they could have very easily won even with a I'm not going to say could have easily won because I do think the Jaguars are an improved team but in a game that in my opinion, didn't amount to much. They could have set him out, let him rest, let him actually heal, and not just throw him out there to kind of get slaughtered. Yeah, because he definitely took some big hits. All right, what's your number four takeaway of the week? My number four, I'm going to back to the same game. The Jacksonville Jaguars are, um, I guess you would say, they're my pick for the Bengals watch. And what I mean by the Bengals watch is, a team that was at the bottom of their division but could potentially make a splash and make the playoffs. I don't think the Jaguars are going to make the Super Bowl like the Bengals did, but I definitely could see them jumping, um, making a big jump in the standings and potentially being like a wild card. Well, honestly, I hate to say it, winning our division because right now our division looks like hot garbage. But I think they have an improved defense. We've obviously seen the improvements of Trevor Lawrence. And then we bring, like, this past week, um, Giants Robinson, a running back that a lot of people had questions around. He showed that he still could be that dude. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think it would be hyperbole to say they look like the best team in the AFC South right now. I mean, they look, everything seems to really be clicking on all cylinders. Even the loss to Washington to start the year, I mean, they came out really strong. And I think that the potential is there. We're really starting to see some of the best play from Trevor Lawrence that we have of his career. And they'll be interested to see if he can keep it up. Uh, my number four, I'm going to take things to Chicago, where I'm going to say the Bears need to recognize Roquan Smith's value before he leaves in free agency. During the preseason, there was so much talk about Roquan Smith and if he would get an extension. He requested a trade. It was a whole bunch of drama. However, he ended up deciding to bet on himself and play this season. And, I mean, it's games like this past Sunday's which show why he's so valuable. He led the team with 16 tackles and had the game-saving interception, which helped set the Bears up to get in field goal position. Now, I know that their GM may not value middle linebackers. They may not think that they're that important. But guys like Roquan Smith make a big difference. So you have to have them on the field and keep them around as long as possible uh, moving on to my number three takeaway I gotta go to Cleveland and I'm gonna say that Nick Chubb looks like the best running back in the league so far I said it earlier when we were doing our uh 
divisional previews, I felt like Nick Chubb was going to lead the league in rushing. I mean, he's already doing that. Amari Cooper has been a great addition thus far for the Browns, but everybody knows that that offense lives and dies by the run, more specifically with Nick Chubb. And we're already seeing the fruits of their labor. Nick Chubb is leading the league in rushing yards. I I know he's got to be up there in carries. He's looking great. Uh, for me, my number three is honestly it's funny you brought up Nick Chubb, but it's the re- it's kind of like the resurgence of the running back position so far in the NFL. If you think about it, a lot of these teams that are like, for instance, the the Browns, the Giants, even the Cowboys, a lot of these things that people have looked at and be like, they aren't going to be as good as they thought they were record wise right now. A lot of the reason why they're this good is because they've been able to run the ball. Like you think about the Giants and Saquon Barkley. I saw firsthand how he looks to be a um, rejuvenated player. He gassed my Tennessee Titans on week one. Then he continued to gas defenses. He gassed the Cowboys in a loss. And you look at, like for instance, the Cowboys. They have, granted they have a older Zeke who isn't as explosive, but they have this two-back system with him and Tony Pollard that has been dynamic, and it showed in that game against New York. And like you said, with Nick Chubbs, like having a running back that you can, that can carry the load when you aren't, when you don't necessarily have uh, the quarterback talent that a lot of teams have. So I think the resurgence of the running back position has been a great, from my, from my standpoint, it's been great to see. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because, I mean, I think that we're seeing that the star wide receivers, not to say that they haven't played like stars, but they've been kind of quiet. I mean, Cooper Cup had a pretty quiet game against um, Arizona, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Stephon Diggs was even kind of kept him at bay. So, it, not you mention it, you know, it really has been a lot of running backs uh, carrying the load. But right, what's your number two takeaway of the week? Number two, uh, I think – And again, another team that's kind of been led by running backs. I think the Green Bay Packers might have finally kind of potentially found their formula. Yes, they're still going to have growing pains, but I think bringing back, having Alan Lazar come back from injury and their defense finally played like the defense that we've been waiting for them to play like this whole season so far. They had a, granted, it came against a depleted Buccaneers team. But they were a dominant defense. I mean, you held Tom Brady to, what, 14 points? Yeah, 12, actually. Yeah, 12. In my opinion, regardless of who lines up their receiver, if you're holding – if you can hold an NFL team to 12 points, that's a dominant effort. And we know that they wanted to have the double running back duo of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, and I think that that's paid off as well. Yeah, I think that the Packers are – I think they're kind of settling into this new identity of kind of being a more run-first team with the great defense, and it's it's looked good. Hopefully they can continue it on. All right, and then uh, my number two takeaway, I'm going back to the quarterback, and I mean – This may be the best Lamar Jackson that we have seen so far. And I know that's high praise for someone who's already won an MVP award. But, I mean, the Jackson 5, baby, had five touchdowns against the Patriots. He did kind of piss me off a little bit early in that Patriots game, not going to lie. But, I mean, consistently has just put forth great performances. I saw a stat where I believe his 12 touchdowns are more than, like, 23 other teams have scored. 
if I'm not mistaken, something ridiculous. And last year he got off to a really great start, and but unfortunately injuries kind of sidelined him. So hopefully if he can stay healthy, he can continue this production because, I mean, Lamar has looked really, really good, and we're going to need a big performance out of him this week if we want to beat the Bills. And then my last takeaway, there's a reason that the 49ers were ready to move on from Jimmy G. I'm not putting all of the blame of the 49ers lost Sunday night on Jimmy G because I do think that losing Trent Williams and replacing him with Jalen Moore is a major downgrade. But even still, I mean, he made some pretty bad decisions. He had some passes that looked wonky. Of course, that self-inflicted safety. I mean, it was rough. And I know that there, you and I both agreed that we felt like short-term, the team, the 49ers are better with Jimmy G than with Trey Lance. But I think that there's also many reasons why they were ready to move on from Jimmy G in the first place. That's okay. I think Russ is starting to hit a decline. You know what? Aside from that last offensive drive, well, the second to last one where they got that touchdown, I I hear you. I hear you. It was not pretty. And I think, in the, and I think a lot of it has to do with this whole concept of Russ trying to win games in the pocket. Like Russ, he is a he's a average pocket passer. But the thing that makes Russell Wilson Russell Wilson is when he gets outside of the pocket. And the reason I feel like he started to decline, one, is he isn't as mobile as he was in his past. And two, I think because he isn't as mobile, he isn't necessarily looking to take off. Because like you said, in that second to last drive that they had he looked like Russell Wilson because he was breaking out of the pocket and he was making plays with his legs. And every other drive before that, he was just standing in the pocket and he really wasn't making great reads. Um, I kind of compare it to Donovan McNabb when he was with the Eagles. Like, Donovan McNabb, for whatever reason, decided, like, I want to try to prove everybody wrong and say that I'm a pocket passer. And it didn't help his – it didn't benefit him whatsoever. But I think with Russell, if Russell just buys in and says, like, hey, I'm just going to play my ball, I think they can improve drastically. But I also know that when you're an aging quarterback and you're used to being athletic and mobile and your mobility declines, that could also play a huge part. Yeah, I think it is kind of frustrating because the Russell Wilson that we've seen within the first three weeks with the Broncos is not the one that was the star in Seattle. And I think a big part of that, like you mentioned, is just trying to become more of a pocket passer. That's fine if your offensive line is keeping you clean. But there were several points when his right tackle, uh, Cam Fleming, was getting him murdered. Nick Bosa was having a field day. Drake Jackson was able to get a sack. It was rough. And so he did. I'm happy that Torres saying he did start trying to run and do things on his own. Because I get it. You want to – it's more sustainable to be a pocket passer that's fine, but it's not what makes 
Russell Wilson, like you mentioned, the star that we know of him. So I hope that he does get more elusive. And if it's Nathaniel Hackett trying to get him to be more of a pocket passer, I know he's not as, like, upfront and brash as, like, a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or whatever. But sometimes, look, you got to get a brace and say, no, that's not what works for me. I'm going to do what works for me. Because when he plays the way that he normally does and what's successful for him, he gets wins. So I'm hoping that these first few weeks will help kind of facilitate a tra- a change in that offense because it has so much potential. It has so much potential, but it is also so freaking hard to watch. So yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but I mean I can't argue with you. It's it's Russ has not looked. Russ has not been cooking. Let's just say that. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive offensive and defensive players of the week. Um, Offensively, I'm going to throw a shout-out to Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Devontae Smith. Had arguably the best game of his career. Eight catches for 169 yards with a touchdown. Absolutely gave the Washington Commanders secondary the Blues. Uh, For me, there's no other person that I can go with. I got to go with Lamar. Jackson Five, baby. Um, all right, so most uh, impressive defensive player. I, I'm not gonna lie, I almost went with Lamar, but I went a defensive player for the Ravens, and I'm gonna go cornerback Marcus Peters in just his second game back after missing all of last year with the torn ACL. He he was balling, had an interception, forced a fumble, and recovered a fumble. Probably the uh, key play towards the end. I mean, Marcus Peters, we all know of him as a ball hawk. We all know that whenever he's near the ball, he's trying to create turnovers. So I'm very happy to have him back. I believe in the first three games, we forced like 17 turnovers. It's a beautiful sight, and Marcus Peters is a big role in that. Uh, I'm trying to get his name because I remembered it, and then I forgot. But he is... What team? Huh? What team? It's an Eagles linebacker. I'm looking up his name now. Um, oh, my God. Okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah, he had, he had 10 total tackles, 9 solo, 1 sack, and 2 tackles for loss, and like 2 QB hits. And granted, we un- I understand that the whole, the whole Eagles defense ate, but... To get double-digit sacks and nine of them be solo, that means you're around the ball. And, like, that's impressive to me. Very much so. All right. Most disappointing uh, player, team, unit, who you got? Most disappointing. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I have a tie, and it's weird because the, the teams are the teams that played each other. It's the Broncos and the 49ers. Like, that tracks. bro, I watched the game, and I was like, okay, maybe in the second half, we're going to get some magic and some stuff starts to get going. And it did. And granted, to me, the highlight of the game was the last stand that the defense made, the two plays that the defense made yeah. to see the game. Yeah, the Broncos' defense. This was easily their best performance of the year. Because I'm not going to lie, I had some questions about them um, coming in. And they they looked great. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. I'm, I also went with the whole team. And I'm going to go with the Chargers. I mean, I get it. Justin Herbert, not at 100%. I got that. But the defense got clowned. I don't even know if Trevor Lawrence got touched. It was just the Jags were ha- – and not to mention the run game – and how James Robinson was just going up and down on them all day. 
yeah, no, not pretty at all. All right, so uh, rookie of the week. I'm going to go with a guy who's I'm sure his name isn't being mentioned much, but I'm going to show some love to Colts tight end Jelani Woods. Had two catches on Sunday, and guess what? Both of them were touchdowns to help take down the Chiefs. Um, shout out to him. I know that I've had a lot of criticisms of the Colts offense, and I still do. But I do think that Jelani Woods has a shot to really be a big figure in this offense, and last Sunday's game showed why. Rookie of the week, shoot. I'm trying to think. What rookie is it that I Chris Olave did ball out if you need if you need a talk. Yeah, I had to remember. I got to know Chris because he like the only one that I just saw and was like, ah, oh, he balled out. So It's yeah. weird because this rookie class has been pretty quiet just on the whole. So maybe they'll liven up later on, but it's been it's been pretty pretty quiet. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news. Starting with some retirements. Um, earlier last week, Joe Hayden announced that he will be retiring after 12 seasons in the NFL. Spent most of his career with the Cleveland Browns, which is the team he retired with, and then spent the past couple years in Pittsburgh. So happy trails to him. And then this was one where when I heard it, I was like, didn't he already retire? But I guess not. Clay Matthews, star linebacker for the Green Bay Packers for a number of years, spent a little bit of time with the Rams, has announced that he is officially retiring from the NFL. Clay Matthews, we know the hair. We know the 52. We know the big plays. In your opinion, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Mm -hmm. I think so, just not first ballot. Yeah, I think so, too, because it's funny you mentioned it. So, like, I read an article that was talking about him. And when I think about it, if you were to tell, if you were to ask me the question of who leads the Green Bay Packers in sacks, I wouldn't say Clay Matthews. It's, it's Clay Matthews? Yes, it is. Huh, okay. Didn't I know My that. first thought would be Reggie White. Yeah, even though he wasn't there that long, I would have thought Reggie White, too. But yeah, so it's Clay Matthews. So I think with that, with him leading the great Day Story franchise in sacks and him winning the Super Bowl, I definitely think he's a Hall of Famer, just not a first ballot. Yeah, I think he's going to get in. I mean, when you look back on that Super Bowl team, he was – I know B.J. Raji had the whole discount double check, you know, the, all that good stuff. But uh, Clay Matthews was the heart and soul of that team. And I was actually shocked when they ended up letting him go. But, yeah, no, yeah. Clay Matthews was – Clay Matthews was a bad man. Y'all might not remember Clay Matthews in his heyday, but when he played, he was really good. But, all right, some other roster moves around the league. Cole Beasley signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played his first game with them on Sunday. The Baltimore Ravens added to their pass rush, signing JPP to a one-year deal. And then the Buffalo Bills have signed Xavier Rhodes to help out their secondary. So, in other fun news, we talked about this in the offseason about what the NFL should do with the Pro Bowl. And it sounds like they have decided to scrap the game and have decided to introduce Pro Bowl games. Um, in a statement released by the NFL a few days ago, it says this, The Pro Bowl games presented by Verizon will be a week-long celebration of player skills featuring exciting new format that spotlights flag football. The multi-day AFC versus NFC competition will culminate in an action-packed flag football game featuring pro ball players the pro ball games will integrate new challenges where players showcase their football and non-football skills in a fun and memorable way so how do you like this change i think both of us agreed that the pro ball the pro ball game itself probably had to go so how do you like this new implementation of flag football and doing week-long activities 
I think it's cool because, I mean, we've seen, like, when they had these deals competitions, how it's been really enjoyable to watch. So I think I win my only note on it is I don't know if I would want to have it, like, as a week-long thing. Yeah. Like, me personally, I would say maybe having, like, three days at max. Yeah, like a weekend thing. Yeah, but I think it'll be cool. And the flag football element, I think it's also – that's cool because it's like, you know, it. I feel like that might be something that pe- that might be the one thing that people don't watch. Some people might, but as a whole, the whole concept, I think, was, I think it's a win because, like, the Pro Bowl, like, for me personally, I never, I only watched, like, I've only watched, like, two Pro Bowls my whole life. Yeah. And once I realized that, like, it was, and it's hard for somebody like me because I, I like defense more than I like offense. So it's like, bro, I don't see blitzes. I don't see hard hits. I'm like, what's the point of doing this? So I think overall it's, been, it's, a, it's a win, but we'll see once it actually happens. Yeah, I think it's a move in the right direction because, I mean, like you said, defense is just it's not the same. Um, but I mean, on the whole, I do like it. I mean, flag football, I think it'll be more fun because I'm sure they'll probably hear fan, like players kind of talk stuff to each other and just I'm sure they're not going to wear helmets and probably be like a seven on seven type environment, which is cool. I just wonder what they're going to do with offensive linemen and defensive linemen now. But I, I like the change. The only thing that I would do is because I know AFC versus NFC is all good and dandy, but low key, I kind of wish they would bring back when they uh, did the draft. When they had the coaches draft the players they want, that would be pretty dope. So if they could make that happen again, that'd be cool. But on the whole, it's fine. Honestly, like you said, I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in years, and this isn't going to make me watch it either. But you know, it's a nice, it's a nice touch. But all right, before we move on to our game of believable or buffoonery, we talked about the potential of uh, Clay Matthews being a Hall of Fame player. But here are some players this year who are first year eligible for the Hall of Fame. Uh, here, the players include Chris Johnson, uh, offensive lineman Jari Evans, offensive lineman Joe Thomas, D lineman Dwight Freeney, linebacker Navarro Bowman, linebacker James Harrison, defensive back Cam Chancellor, defensive back Darrell Revis, and punter Shane Leckler. Of course, there's more names, but these are the more high-profile ones. So, Ethan, if you had to pick three guys uh, who I just mentioned who have the best chance to do it, who do you think it would be? Chris Johnson, Jari Evans, Joe Thomas, Dwight Freeney, Navarro Bowman, James Harrison, Cam Chancellor, Darrell Revis, Shane Leckler. Shane, I, you said three? Yeah, I know. It's hard. I got my three. I, my last spot was kind of tough, but then I looked at the stats and I was like, oh, no, this is easy. All right, all right, all right. So, James Harrison, Darrell Revis, Dwight Freeney. Okay, I'm going to go Joe Thomas. Um, Darrell Revis and Dwight Freeney because it was between Dwight Freeney and James Harrison for me but then I actually looked at the numbers and I was like oh this really isn't even a conversation like James Harrison even though I hate the Steelers y'all know this he I hated playing James Harrison because that's a bad bad man for his career I mean had uh 84 and a half sacks 34 um forced fumbles eight interceptions and of course we know the pick six and the Super Bowl against the Cardinals Hell of a career. 
But then I saw Dwight Freeney's numbers, and I was like, no, I got to go Dwight Freeney. Had 125 and a half sacks, 17 pass deflections, over 300 career tackles, a defensive touchdown. So I went with Dwight Freeney over James Harrison. And also, y'all, for those of you who don't know, I used to be a huge Colts fan growing up, and Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis was one of my favorite defensive duos ever. And so... I hope I hope that they get it. But I think if I had to pick one guy who was a definite lock, it'd be Darrell Reeves. If I had yeah. to bet, it'd be Darrell. And then two right. would be Joe Thomas. Go ahead. So before we before we jump to the next one, who okay. would your who would your like four? If you had your fourth your reserve be? Oh, um it would be James Harrison. I'd give James Harrison. The okay. as biased as I wanna be, I would love to say Navarro Bowman, because I love me some Navarro Bowman. I don't know if Navarro Bowman's going to make the Hall of Fame. I want him to. Because the duo of him and Patrick Willis back in the 49ers days. Ooh. Oh. Ooh, what a duo. What a great duo. But I don't – I would love for Navarro to make it, but I know he's not going to be first ballot. I got you. What about you? Who would be your reserve? Chris Johnson. I could see CJ2K. I could see it. I don't think he's going to be first ballot, but he deserves to be in there at some point. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on. Our game of believable or buffoonery. Here's a guy who nobody has to question is going to be in the Hall of Fame. That's Von Miller, who earned some pretty high praise from RG3 on Get Up on ESPN, who said Von Miller is the Tom Brady of defensive ends. Many people consider Tom Brady to be the greatest quarterback of all time, so I'm going to infer that to mean that RG3 is calling Von Miller the greatest defensive end of all time. Is that believable or buffoonery? Buffoonery? Yeah, I might think so too. think he's great, but no. I can can name so many other – like, we just literally named one. Dwight Freeney. Yeah. I put him over Von Miller. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I wonder what he meant in terms of like longevity. Maybe, but even still, I mean, yeah. Now, in terms of longevity, I don't think that there's been an edge rusher who has had the same one. Like, J.J. Watt was amazing, but injuries started to pile up. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to necessarily do it. Um, I'm going to remember so many more. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan is another guy. I'm going to remember so many other people when I do not care. DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus. Now, DeMarcus Ware, I think he really benefited from playing with Von Miller on that defense. Oh, my gosh. That 2013 Broncos. I mean, not 2013. 2015 Broncos defense was insane. Uh Yeah. In terms of longevity, yes, I see it. But if you're trying to call him the GOAT, I would say no. Not at all. All right. So, moving on to another question. We kind of talk – there's only two teams in the NFL that are 3-0, and but there's also a quarterback who was 3-0 and in his career, and that is Dallas Cowboys' Cooper Rush, who with his latest victory over the New York Giants and had a pretty solid game, it sparked some interesting conversations. Even prior to the game, Jerry Jones said publicly that he was open to a quarterback competition between Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush. Don't know if he was joking or not, but – Looking at the record, maybe that inspires some help. Now, Richard Sherman, recently on the Volume Sports Podcast, said, this isn't a quarterback controversy because Dak makes too much money. But let's say Dak was just an average money-making quarterback. Do you think that Cooper Rush would get a real shot to start over Dak when he returned? 
I'm I'm still going to say no, and the reason being is because I think money, even with money aside, Dak is the more talented quarterback. The reason I believe that Cooper Rush has had like success, especially in like these last two games, is because of the like they change their scheme, their team schematic so drastically when he's in there. Like when you have Dak, they're slinging the ball around, and yes, Dak is a talented quarterback. But when you look at the other pieces around him, as far as like skill, as far as um skill position players. It's C.D. Lamb and a bunch of no-names. And so when you're asking your quarterback to drop back and throw the ball 35-plus times when you only have one good receiver that defenses can lock on, you're, in my opinion, you're setting him up for failure, which you saw in that game against the, uh, the, against the Buccaneers. Yeah. Then, I'm sorry, keep going. Um, oh, no, keep going. No, and, then, and then I was just going to say, also, Cooper Rush, like, the Bengals defense was good, but he hadn't really played like at the, when when Dak played the Bucks defense. They were at full strength, and at a full strength, in my opinion, the Bucks have the best defense in the NFL. So I'm still gonna say no. Yeah, I'm gonna say buffoonery too, especially because it's not like Cooper Rush had like amazing games to get them these wins. Like if he's throwing for 300 plus, 400 plus yards, three, four touchdowns in each of these games, then maybe you you look a little, you raise an eyebrow. But it's more so just been the defense, especially that defensive line. Because good gosh, I feel for Daniel Jones. Um, they're doing their jobs, and then the run game. I mean, Zeke of course is the more well known guy, but Tony Pollard has been balling. And I think that you take Zeke out of the question. Like, if they really want to make Tony Pollard their main guy, he would av- he could get 100 rushing yards pretty easily. He's knocked out really big runs in both of the past two games. So, it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, about him. But, yeah, no. I'm calling buffoonery. But, all right, last question before we make our game picks for week four. As I mentioned, there are two teams that are currently undefeated in the league and both have received a quite a lot of hype that's the miami dolphins and the philadelphia eagles some people think the dolphins are the best team in the league some people think the eagles are the best team in the league let's just make it plain right now who's the better three and oh team the eagles or the dolphins i feel like we're gonna agree on this the eagles yeah obviously yeah no they yeah like they have they have the better overall roster um both of them still have quarterbacks that need to answer questions from the standpoint of, like, they need more time to answer those questions. But me personally, from what I've seen, I would take Jalen Hurts before I take two. Yeah, 100%. And I think if you look at the way that these games have been won, the Eagles have two games that were convincingly won. Miami was getting their butts kicked for the first three quarters of the Ravens game, and then they ended up coming out top, and they survived by the skin of their teeth against the Bills. And I understand they placed tougher teams than the Eagles have to this point, but even still, I would I would go Eagles, and it's not not that close. I think that not to say I think either of them are going to go undefeated much longer. I think losses are coming, but I'm more convinced by what I've seen from the Eagles than the Dolphins. But speaking of the Dolphins, they are kicking off our week four game picks where they will be traveling to Cincinnati to face the Bengals in a game that had I still lived in Ohio, I would 100% be going to. 
No offense to the Dolphins, but I got uh, Cincy coming out on top. Even though I do think that Tyreek Hill is going to have like 200 receiving yards against, especially if he's lined up against Eli Apple. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I have Cincy, but I definitely think, honestly, if Tyreek don't do it, Jalen Waller to do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not. J- Eli Apple is not good. I don't. I'm not gonna keep facilitating that. No, he's not good, and it's just so funny how many receivers like are at his neck. It is hilarious. All right, so moving on, we're going to London, where it will be the New Orleans Saints versus the Minnesota Vikings. I got Vikings. This is tough. It is. It is. I have Saints. Okay, I respect it. All right, Los Angeles Chargers versus the Houston Texans. We always talk about what team should win because the Chargers should win this game, but we said the same thing last year and the Texans won, but I'm still going to say Chargers. Yeah, I'm saying Chargers too. New York Giants versus Chicago Bears. I'm going to go Giants. Yeah, I'm going Giants. Detroit Lions versus the Seattle Seahawks. I got Detroit. I got Detroit. Philadelphia Eagles versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this Loki is going to be a game, but I got Eagles. I got Eagles, too. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the New York Jets. Zach Wilson's supposed to be coming back, so that'll be interesting, but I still got Steelers. Yeah, I got Pittsburgh. Cleveland Browns versus the Atlanta Falcons. Loki, this is a bit of a toss-up because the Falcons' offense has been playing great. While their offense has their defense has done nothing, kind of similar to the Browns, or at least their run game looks good. But push comes to shove. I if Miles Garrett does play, which thoughts and prayers with him, I hope he is okay. I think he's going to murder uh, Jake Matthews, and I think that he's going to have an effect. So I'm going Browns. Uh, I'm going Browns because I feel like they're not going to be able to stop Nick Chubb. Oh, they're not, definitely not. All right, your Tennessee Titans taking on the Indianapolis Colts. I got Titans. I got Titans. Uh, Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington Commanders. Honestly, I'm not picking the Commanders to win anything right now. I got Washington. I mean, I got Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. It hurts me to say this, but between the Buffalo Bills and my Baltimore Ravens, I'm going to go Bills. I don't want to. I'm going Ravens. I hope I'm wrong. I just. I, don't I really don't think they're gonna be able to stop no more. But then again, like our secondary is like it's very boom or bust. Either we're gonna get a pick and create a big turnover, or we're gonna let a big play go. It's no real in between. And I, yeah, I think it's gonna come. I don't think it's gonna be a blowout by any means. I think it's gonna be like a field goal. But if it's it's another game like the Dolphins where we're up big and then we freaking blow it, I'm gonna be pissed. But for right now, I'm gonna say Bills and hope I'm wrong. Uh, Arizona Cardinals versus the Carolina Panthers. I got Cardinals. Uh, Dang, you don't got no hope in Kyler? I got Panthers. Oh, wow. That You got more faith in Baker than you do Kyler. That's never thought I'd see the day. It's, it's just, as a whole, the off the whole, the whole team, I think the Panthers are better than the Cardinals. Um, defensively, I agree with you. Offensively, 
Offensively, I'm going to disagree because running back for sure, Panthers. I would take – I take – Receivers, dang, that's hard because not including D Hop, it's kind of receivers. Hey, I go Panthers, I and running back, I go Panthers. Yeah, if you take D Hop out of their receiving core, I'm taking the Panthers receiving. Yeah, like the, the only upgrade I feel like they have is quarterback. And granted, quarterbacks can can make or break a lot of things, but you know, as long as Baker don't decide to be bad back, I think they can win. I mean, offensive line, I would take Cardinals and tight end, I take Cardinals. <sighs> That's tough. I would go I think I'd go Cardinals, but I mean I think it, it's gonna be an interesting game. All right, Las Vegas Raiders versus the Denver Broncos. Raiders the only 0-3 team left in the league. I think they get their first win. I think them boys gonna 0 Okay, look at you having faith in declining Russ. Uh, Green Bay Packers versus the New Orleans—I mean New England Patriots. Even if Mac Jones was playing, I have page. I mean Packers. Yeah, I got Pack. All right, Sunday Night Football: Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I got Chiefs. Yeah, I got Chiefs too. All right, and then Monday Night Football: uh, Los Angeles Rams versus the San Francisco 49ers. I know that the 49ers were kicking their butt, what seven straight games prior to the NFC Championship, but I'm. I, I think not having Trent Williams is going to be a big blow. I got Rams. Yeah, you don't got your best alignment. You got to face Aaron Donald and Bobby Wagner. No, sir. Good luck with that. All right, so let's talk our offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching this week. For me, offensively, I'm watching Jamar Chase. Jamar's had been pretty solid this year. But I think that this could be a game where he really breaks out. The Dolphins' secondary has not been good. And Jamar Chase is a bad, bad man. If they can keep Joe Burrow upright, I think that he has a chance to ball out. Uh, for me, offensively, I'm watching another wide receiver. I'm watching Alan Lazar. He came back this past week and gave Green Bay a boost from the receiving standpoint. And I wonder, can he keep it up? They need it. <laughs> I'm also watching him because I just moved him to my snake spot on my fantasy team, so he better do something good. I mean, he needs to. I mean, who else really you throwing the ball to? I know Romeo Dobbs had a touchdown, the rookie, but yeah. Defensively, safety Marcus Williams, who is low-key becoming my top three favorite defensive players in Baltimore, has had an interception in two out of the past three games. He looks really damn good in the Ravens uniform, and we are going to need him to be at his best um, against Buffalo. Uh, defensively, honestly, the safety's for the Bengals. They going up against Jalen Waddle and, Ty- and Tyreek Hill. Y'all gonna have to play some uh, some really deep coverage because if they get past y'all corners and y'all can't break, make a play, it's gonna be six. Yeah, easy. All right, and then my rookie I'm watching is defensive end for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, George Karlaftis. We saw it. I mean, we all know. The offensive line for the Bucks has been taken apart. It has been rough for TB12 back there. And George Karloftis has had some pretty nice showings thus far as a rookie. I think that he's going to have a chance to get home and sack arguably the GOAT. Uh, for me, I got to go with A.D. Hutchinson. That's a bad man. And, I mean, I just looked at it. Who does Detroit? Oh, they play Seattle. He's going to get his. I'm sorry, Gino. He's going to get his for sure. But, but yeah, 
Like, you going up against a bad O-line, I want to, like, even though I know it probably won't happen, but if I look at my phone and see, like, five sacks, I'm going to be like, this man did what he's supposed to do. I mean, if you had to pick after the first three weeks, I think it's pretty safe to say that Aiden Hutchinson is the defensive rookie of the year. I think it's pretty yep. not close. But, I mean, three sacks will do that for you. All right, and then what team are you calling out? What team am I calling out? Hmm. I'm calling out Pittsburgh. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like, you know... And it's funny because I'm wearing a black and yellow flannel right now. But, you know, I'm a closet Steelers fan. I'm not going to deny that I it's been, like everything about the team from their philosophy to the way to, to their style of play of being a strong defensive team. And honestly, their head coach is my favorite head coach in the NFL. So, but for them to be one and two, and, like, they could have very easily won that game against the Browns. Yes. So. If they could have got yeah. a stop. Just, yeah. just one. Yeah. I, um, everybody know I hate the Steelers, but I respect the hell out of the Steelers. I respect Mike Tomlin. I'm not going to say I want good things for them, but it's weird seeing them not do well. I'll say that. And I'm calling out my Baltimore Ravens because, like I said, I did pick us to lose. I know I'm a traitor. But, damn it, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Lamar puts another Jackson 5. Give – I can't even talk. Give Baltimore no leverage. Make them give you your $250, $300 million fully guaranteed contract because he's playing like he's worth it. And – I love it. It's so nice not having to worry about quarterback. I hope he stays healthy. I hope he's able to do it. Big games like this, winning against tough opponents, is what really helps make you your money and show that you are a superstar and that you deserve to be the franchise quarterback for a very, very long time. Even though, let's be honest, if Baltimore don't do it, another team will. So, ball out, Baltimore. I hope y'all can do it. But, all right, let's go ahead, move on to the NBA where it's been a week. So let's start off with some lighthearted stuff first, starting with Andrew Iguodala, who said that this will be his last year. Um, this will be his 19th, 19th overall season. Any expectations from Iggy? If you had to, if you had to guess point predictions, how many points per game he gonna average? I'm gonna say a solid 4.7. I'm gonna say a solid. He should have retired after this season, after he won his championship. Cause boy, don't nobody care about you. They don't. They don't. It's just, I guess having him there is kind of like a Iggy. Like, I guess like more of a nostalgic thing. But it doesn't matter. Nobody really cares. All right, but kind of an unfortunate news. Robert Williams, power forward for the Celtics, who we will be talking about quite a bit, um, had surgery on his knee. And originally it was expected that he would be out for the next four to six weeks. But now that timetable has expanded to at least six to eight. It's rough up in Beantown, so hopefully he will be able to get back healthy. We'll see how things shake out. Um, the Utah Jazz continue to make personnel changes, trading uh, forward Bohan Bogdanovich to the Detroit Pistons for Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee. And also, the Phoenix Suns are going through a bit of a rough patch with forward Jay Crowder. It was announced that the team and Crowder have mutually agreed to part ways and are currently looking for a trade. So, Ethan, 
Jay Crowder did do some nice stuff in Memphis during his time there. Would you be happy to have him back in the bluff? Uh, I was about to curse, and I'm trying to stop cursing, but yes. Yeah, I mean, he, he fits the mold. He fits the mold of what Memphis is and the toughness and the grit way more than Danny Green, who I low-key kind of forgot was technically on the Grizzlies now. So, yeah, I think y'all should make it happen. I think it would be a great addition. I mean, of the different teams that they mentioned him going to, I think that for sure Memphis is the best fit. And then finally, Pelicans give C.J. McCollum a big extension, signing him to a two-year, $64 million extension, uh, making his contract now a four-year, $133 million deal. So shout-out to C.J. Looking forward to seeing what the Pelicans can do. Now, we rushed through that because we got to talk about the M.A. Uduka season-long suspension from the Boston Celtics. So let's backtrack a little bit. How did we get to this point? It was, what, last Thursday night, everybody's minding their business, and Woj puts out a tweet saying that a that Uduka was going to be suspended for a significant amount of time for violating team policies. That was it. Nobody knew what that meant until several hours later, we found out what the suspension was all about. Following that tweet, M.A. Uduka is facing a disciplinary action expected to include a significant suspension for his role in a consensual, intimate relationship with a female member of the franchise's staff. Uh, Woj added the relationship was considered a violation of the organization's guidelines and the decision on the length of this suspension was expected, blah, blah, blah. We now know it's a year. However, since this has all taken place, a lot more information has begun to come out. Here's some of the high points. Um, allegations were made by a female Celtics staffer when Ime Aduka made unwanted comments towards her. The Celtics hired an independent law firm to conduct a month-long, possibly longer, investigation. Um, it was revealed that Udoka broke multiple team rules and not just the one that was previously reported. Apparently, Udoka hid his affair from Nia Long, his fiance, and he moved his family to Boston just two weeks ago um, along with their son, despite knowing of the possible suspension. Now, this was unconfirmed, but more information was coming out that Uduka likely committed serious offenses. The initial leak to Shams that he was suspended for a consensual relationship likely came from Udoka's camp to try to control the narrative. Um, following all of this, uh, Duka came out with a statement saying, I want to apologize to our players, fans, the entire Celtics organization, and my family for letting them down. I'm sorry for putting the team in this difficult situation, and I accept the team's decision. Out of respect for everyone involved, I will have no further comment. So, Ethan, let's just talk baseline. When you heard this news, what were your thoughts? Talking about the first initial news of the suspension or the news of the whole, like, all the details? Let's say just hearing he was suspended first. Like, what was your first reaction like, I guess prior to knowing what he did. Or, no, prior okay, to knowing prior how to long know. he was going to be suspended. I was like, prior to knowing what he did, I was like, my first thought was, well, what did he, <laughs> honestly, what did he do? Right. And I was like, obviously, it must be something significant because they're, like, talking about suspending him for, like, a year. Um. So, yeah, my first thought was, like, 
yeah, what exactly did he do? Because just to see, like, I don't, like, I, I'm not on social media right now. So, like, I kind of, he just popped up on my phone through ESPN saying, like, he might be receiving a significant suspension for, um, for team violations. And I'm like, well, what are the violations? Right. Yeah, because, I mean, it's so weird. Typically, like, when things like this happen, when we get those notifications, we find out what happened or what the suspension is for. But this one, it was kind of a guessing game. And so you mentioned you're not on social media. And I was, so I was, like, scouring everything. Of course, there'd be, like, certain jokes that were kind of funny. But other ones were just, like, I saw some stuff about infidelity. But I was like, nah, he wouldn't cheat on Nia Long. Then he cheats on Nia Long. But... Then, all right, so let's talk about finding out about the suspension. Now, you and I, neither of us were there. But the fact that it was for a year. Now, from what we know or what we've been told, it was a consensual relationship. And so while that may go against the organization's guidelines, a year-long suspension, do you think that's fair? No. And the reason... I'm saying I don't think it's fair. I'm sorry. Um, it's because of things that presidented before this suspension was announced. And when, the things I'm referring to are the is the Robert Robert Sarver situation, right? Uh, because for me, you suspended a man that we saw like definite um misogynistic things, racist things, and like just a whole lot of bad stuff. You suspended him for a year and now he isn't obviously I think he isn't the owner of the Suns anymore. I thought I read this. Yeah, then he's trying to sell the team. Yeah, um, but like you suspend him for a year and then you suspend Ema Udoka for a year. Granted the things that he did were violations to team um team violations, but it's like if everything is true, he's in a consensual relationship. Then that, in my opinion, that's not as um severe as from a professional standpoint is the things that Robert Sarver did. So that's why I was like, okay, this this don't match up. Yeah. Okay. So speaking on, like I said, from what we know, it was a consensual relationship. If this was a consensual relationship, then no. I agree with you. I don't think it was a fair suspension because, unfortunately, athletes, coaches cheat on their wives and girlfriends all the time. It's yep. It sucks. You hate to see it. You wish everybody would just be faithful and loyal, but unfortunately, that is not real life. Like, honest to God, of the, like, really high-profile athletes, there are only two who I believe probably have not cheated on their wives. That's Russell Wilson and Russell Westbrook. Everybody else, if you told me they cheated, I would not be shocked. And yes, hundred percent. Like I, I, I hate to be that negative person, but they've been together since high school. You telling me that he has not slipped up at least one time? Okay, I don't think this is what I say. I don't think he cheated, but I wouldn't be surprised. If, like, somewhere down the line we find out they were in, like, a really well-hidden open relationship. I doubt that. I don't think, I don't know nothing about Savannah James, but I think that she don't seem like the type to go for that. Yeah, she don't. 
So I, th- I think he cheated. Like I'll say this: if he cheated, I think it would be like early on in his career, and they like move past it. But you know, I, I, it's so sad, and I hate to like be this person, but like I genuinely like athletes are in so many different cities. They're around all these different women. Groupies are around them all the time. Nah. Wait a minute. So why do you think Westbrook cheated? Russell Westbrook. I'm sorry. Russ seems like it's weird. Uh, Russell Westbrook seems like somebody who is just like overly dedicated to whatever his craft is or whatever he's working on, and he seems very de- dedicated to Nina. Now, if I found out he cheated, I'd be a little disappointed. Unfortunately, I wouldn't be all that shocked, but I could believe it. But I don't think he would cheat on Nina. Also, Nina Westbrook don't seem like the type to go through it. And then Russell Russell Wilson for obvious reasons. But, um, yeah, but, like, it's unfortunate because I'm sure everybody cheated. And so, shit, even Kobe Bryant cheated on Vanessa. Everybody knows he cheated. It sucks, but it happened. If every athlete, coach or whatever, was suspended or got in trouble for cheating, we wouldn't have anybody in the league. Everybody would miss time, especially if it was a year. Yeah, like that. What is sports? Like everybody would just be single and be like, "Well, technically, I'm not cheating." Like it would literally, especially if it was a year long suspension. Please, nobody would be playing. So, with that being said, I don't think it's fair. It's not right. Cheat. I'm not condoning cheating. Cheating is terrible. It sucks. If you're a cheater, you're gross. Boo. You're a letdown. But. I don't think that it warrants a year-long suspension. I don't think that's fair. Because if that's the case, if this is the precedent that the uh, Celtics are creating, then that means, like, if players are cheating, you got to suspend them too, right? Brad Stevens cheated. He got to go too, right? Jason Tatum could put – y'all just went to the final. Jason Tatum cheating on his girlfriend or whatever, he got to go too, right? Like, I just feel like it creates a precedent that it's just not fair to me. Now – Last question before we move on. This was this past year was Udoka's first year as a head coach, and now he's slated to miss this whole entire year. He's oh, boy, yeah, and so right now the plan is for assistant coach uh, Joe Mazzula to take over. Who Jason Tatum gave a rousing endorsement. He said he's helped me out tremendously as a player and a person. Everybody appreciates what he brings to the team, and I'm glad we have him. Blah blah blah. But when push comes to shove, do you think M.A. Odoka will be back in 2023? Because I don't. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think it'll be. I think it'll be one of those situations to where it's gonna be a couple, a couple years before. I think he'll end up being like an assistant somewhere. But a head coaching gig, it's gonna take a while for him to get another head coaching gig. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's tough. And I think to go back to what you were, your earlier point. I think the only reason why this was magnified is because they did it with quote unquote team personnel. Like that's the that's the big stipulation. Cause like I in my ear still like watching sports and being a fan of sports, I've never heard of people having relations with team personnel. I'm pretty sure it's happening. Oh, a hundred percent. They just got caught. Yeah, so I think that's the only that's the only difference in like it's a difference in saying like oh you cheating than saying like oh you cheating with but it's like if you were to cheat with your coworker like 
Yeah, folks find out about it. I think that's the difference. And because, like, they probably do have team policies around relationships with coworkers, that's why I feel like this has been magnified. But I still don't think he, de- he deserved it. I ain't going to say deserved. I don't think he should have gotten a year suspension for it. I don't think so either. Like like I said, neither of us are condoning what he did, but I think a year is a bit much. And like you said, like with regards to next season, like I said, last year was his first year. It's not like this is a Greg Popovich situation where he's been here forever and he could just come back. Like after a year, like you really don't even know this man's philosophy. You don't really know what he's trying to ingrain. And then after a whole year, I mean, Joe Mazzulla could come in and like really – put things down and really show that he should be a head coach. And so the Celtics could just cut ties. So, yeah, I think that this is just the beginning of the end. I don't know if he's necessarily going to resign, but I don't think he's going to be their head coach much longer. It's just... And two more things. Mm-hmm. One, from the coaching standpoint, bro, the Celtics is all the type of team that you can put, you can literally bring anybody in to, head, to coach their team and they're going to be successful. Because when, when I found out that Brad Stevens was – like, not going to be their coach no more, I was like, bro, so who they going to bring in? Like, because Brad Stevens, in my opinion, when he was coaching, he was a, a top five coach in the NBA. I thought he was going to take over as the coach, honestly. Yeah, and so then you bring in Emmanuel Udoka, and yes, they had some struggles in the first half of the season, but, like, the folks went to the finals. Right. And it's like, like they they they're still young, they're talented, and like they 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 have the potential to be a top five offense and a top five defense. So you can you can bring, I'm not gonna say you just bring Joe Blow, but you can bring if you bring in a a slightly average coach with that talent on their roster, you can make them look great. Yeah. Um. Uh, and the and the last thing I'm gonna say. And this is more like a personal thing. Bro, how you fumbled a bag with me alone? The biggest bag. Come on. Like, as a, like, I'm going to be honest with you. As a black man, my wife knows this. So, what I'm saying is not, she's not going to get mad. As a black man, one of my top five all-time celebrity crushes. From the moment I saw her on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, has been me alone. And rightfully so. She's gorgeous. And she was gorgeous then and she still is now. She looks a li- just a little bit aged in the past 20, 30 years. So it's like, yeah, bro. Like, you... Played yourself. I ain't gonna lie. You, you, let, you, let, you, let, you, let the, you let your fellow brothers down with that one, my boy. The, the black men don't cheat delegation is shaking their head. This is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah no, fumbled the bag in the, a huge way. Because it's one thing to cheat. That's problematic enough. But now you getting suspended for a year. And probably going to lose your job. And you cheated on a whole, a whole I ain't going to say a whole race, but a nice chunk of a racist, like, like you know how many men was that was in your position to be engaged in their home? I've seen so many posts on Twitter and Instagram like stepdaddy applications pending like goofy, played yourself. But whatever, that's a him problem. Neil Long, let's be honest, she can go out in the street and find her a new man like that. So who, whatever she decides to do, I hope she's happy because she deserves happiness. But all right, moving on to things that make people less happy, and that's ESPN's top 10 player list because 
no matter the sport, the lists are always kind of wonky. But I think the NBA lists are always a bit more rough. So here are the top 10 players according to ESPN this year. Uh, 10, Devin Booker. 9, John Morant. 7, Kevin Durant. Seven, I mean, I'm sorry. 8, Kevin Durant. 7, Jason Tatum. 6, LeBron James. 5, Steph Curry. 4, Joel Embiid. 3, Luka Doncic. Two, Nikola Jokic, and number one, Giannis Antetokounmpo. What are your thoughts on the top ten list this year, Ethan? Um, yeah, they're joint trash. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Like, so Giannis and number one have no issues with none whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, my issues come with. Steph being what four? E five. Yeah, ain't no way. Like, in my personal opinion, Steph should be number two. Like, granted, I understand Nikola Jokic did amazing things and has been doing amazing things, but like, he he no, he's not better than Steph. No, and. Luca, yes, Luca is an ascending player, and I feel like a lot of a lot of people love Luca. I have a I have a love hate relationship. Honestly, I like Luca, but I wish he would stop complaining so much about foul calls and just hoop. Uh, yeah, ain't no way I'm putting Luca, and I understand like he has the potential to be the best player in the NBA, but I'm still not putting him over Steph Curry. No, uh, no way, and. Yes, like, also, I, I understand Jason Tatum took a leap. I'm not putting him over KD. No. Uh, Where was LeBron at? Was LeBron, LeBron was LeBron? six. So, yeah. Like, my top five probably would be completely different. Yeah, Um, I would agree with that. I mean... Even Devin Booker at 10 is kind of... Yeah. And in my opinion, Ja at 9. Ja at 10. Okay. I mean, the list is wonky. I think they had, like, James Harden at, like, 11 or 12. Like, the list overall is, is weird. But, yeah, my five would be different. I would have Giannis, Steph, Jokic... Embiid five five would probably be KD. I can live with LeBron at six, Luca probably seven, Tatum eight, Devin Booker at ten. Like this whole list is kind of iffy to me, but yeah, no, I, I think it's this. I'm not even a Kevin Durant fan, but having him at at eight is kind is very disrespectful. And, like, I know, like, he isn't the player that he used to be, but it's, like, he's still... He's still a bad top, man. Yeah, like, he's still the top player in the league. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's wild. Yeah, not the... Unsurprisingly, ESPN comes out with a very disappointing list, but in the words of Kobe being Bryant, 
when asked about one of his rants, I think they have like a 40 something. And he was like, oh, I've known that they were a bunch of idiots for a long time. And this is further evidence of that. But all right, let's go ahead and run through this game of believable or buffoonery, starting with Utah, who, let's be honest, they have not had many star players in their uh, in their galaxy, aside from, of course, the Carl Malones, the John Stocktons. But Darren Williams was a really solid player for them, and he talked about how difficult it was to recruit players to Utah. He said, no person I ever talked to was interested in coming to Utah, which, I mean... Duh. He said, I had been around all the best players in the world. I had played in the Olympics. I was trying to recruit everybody. I'm talking everybody. Nobody's coming to Utah. No person I talked to was interested in coming to Utah. It was just reality. So I felt like I had to go somewhere else. Believable or buffoonery, Utah is the least attractive free agent destination in the NBA. I would say believable, and it's not close. I'm just going to sum it up with... Uh... With something LeBron James said when he was drafting one of his all-star teams, nobody grew grew up playing with Utah on 2K. Never did. And to this day, I've never played anybody who has chosen the Utah Jazz. So if people aren't playing, if people aren't willing to play with them on a video game, I know for sure professional athletes ain't trying to go there to play to uh, to uh, have a professional career. Yeah, not happening. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about a place where people like to play, and that is Los Angeles, more specifically as the Lakers. After there's so many years, so many people have talked about the young talent that the Lakers have had, such as the Julius Randles, D'Lo, Brandon Ingram, Jordan Clarkson, and how much success they could have had had they stayed together. However, Jordan Clarkson, in a recent interview, talked about this mindset and disagreed with that notion. He said, I don't think it was ever going to work with all of us being there. I see the tweets and all that stuff. We probably wouldn't have brought a championship back to them or none of that. So, believable or buffoonery, had the Lakers' young core stayed together, they would not have lived up to expectations. That's believable. And I think the reason why is because once those guys left, they went they went to situations that empowered them. Like, I'm thinking about uh, Jordan Clarkson in Utah. Yes. Like, basically, he went to a team that gave him a great light the minute he touched the ball. Like, he had the freedom to do whatever he wants. Uh, Julius Randle, he went to the Knicks. And with, honestly, before he even went to the Knicks, he was with New Orleans, and New Orleans empowered him, which then, in turn, um, was, he was able to go to the Knicks, and the Knicks have empowered him. D'Angelo Russell is a big issue because I feel like if he would have stayed, he went to Brooklyn, and he showed really great signs. And then we all know what happened with Brooklyn. They went on to pursue um, bigger names. And then he went to Golden State and he struggled and he's kind of struggled in Minnesota to be consistent. So I think if you were to put them all on the same team, I don't think they would have reached the potentials that they've reached because, for one, it's going to be a pecking order. Like, who are you going to choose to invest and empower in? Is it going to be a Jordan Clarkson or is it going to be Julius Randle? Is it going to be D'Angelo Russell and uh, – yeah, you, you're not going to be able to empower all of those guys the way that they've been able to be empowered on separate teams. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I'm also calling believable on that just because, I mean, that requires a lot of patience to kind of get those guys where they need to be because even after they left, it wasn't immediate – 
you flip a switch and all of a sudden they're at the level that they were expected to be in their draft positions or those high expectations. It took time for them to kind of grow into those expectations. I mean, even with Julius Randle, I would call it iffy with him. He was great last year. But, I mean, well, two, a couple of years ago. But this past season was very disappointing. So there's a lot of questions of if he can really be uh, the guy on the team. Brandon Ingram has been fine. Um, Jordan Clarkson has been cool, kind of in his six-man role. So I don't I don't think it would have worked out either. Um, but, of course, like seeing the success they've had since they've been to Lakers, of course it makes people think that it would have worked. But I don't. I don't think that would have worked. All right, a couple more questions. Talking about another former Laker, and that's Lonzo Ball, who since the middle of last season has yet to play a basketball game, and questions remain if he will be able to play a game this season. He talked about his lingering knee injury and got pretty candid, saying that this is something I've never dealt with. Even the doctors are surprised a little bit. He mentioned that he also still can't run or jump and even has pain in his knee climbing the stairs that's a pretty scary thing to hear especially from a guy so young so believable or buffoonery Lonzo Ball will not play for the Bulls this season I think it's believable if if it's a situation to where he's feeling that much pain and like if he's saying like what's going on with him is even surprising doctors then I can't put that much stock in them being able to treat it and he be back this season I think it might just be one of those situations where he might end up sitting out for the whole season. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully the whole season is just kind of on the positive side because, God forbid, it turns out to be even worse than that. So, yeah, I find it believable, too. I don't think – if it's that bad to where even after almost a year of having the surgery, you're still feeling this bad, it's it's scary to think how much longer this issue is going to go. All right, last question. Dwight Howard, been a free agent for the past several months. I don't know if you saw the video, but I believe, I believe it was SummerSlam's tryouts where he showed up in Nashville and tried his hand at being a wrestler for WWE. Triple H, now the new uh, COO of the company, and might I say doing a great job, minus bringing back Braun Strowman, talked about the potential of Dwight Howard changing careers and said, I think the ball is in his court. He's got my phone number. All he's got to do is call me and we'll see what can happen. So believable or buffoonery, Dwight Howard is on his way to the WWE. I hope not, but uh, I won't be surprised. Dwight Howard is he, yeah. I think his NBA. I think he could get a couple of calls from NBA teams, probably closer towards the playoffs. That need a veteran big man, rim protector, but uh, yeah. I could see him having like one or two matches. I don't think he's going to become like full-time wrestler, but I could see him having a couple matches or at least having like a segment or whatever where he gets into it with somebody, but I don't think it's going to be like full-time. I can see him like kind of like what Gronk was a couple years ago. Yeah, but Gronk, yeah, because like you mentioned, I mean, because Gronk was going to be there and then Tom Brady was like, nah, bro, I need you in Tampa. And... That's what happened. So I could see it being another situation of Dwight comes in thinking he's going to do it. And then a team is like, hey, what's up? And he does that. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the Xport.net. I repeat, the Xport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Xport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you want to add before we close out this bad boy? Uh. I'm surprised we're talking about Zion, you know. Zion, I mean, look, this is your moment. This is your, what you want to say about Zion. I mean, 
I like I told you off the show. I hope he stays healthy. I mean, that's the biggest thing. He looks great. He looks good. It's just the biggest Achilles heel with Zion is staying healthy. If he can stay healthy, I think he is going to dominate. I think, yeah, I think he, if he can stay healthy, but I think he will. Because I even, cause the, and the reason I say that is because I think back to Joel and B. Yeah. When, he first, when he first got drafted, he had injury. He, he was coming from an injury. Uh, injury riddle rookie season to where he couldn't even play his first season in the NBA. But then he proceedingly had injury issues. But once he started, once he changed and he got a nutritionist and he got in better shape, like, Joel and B really didn't have an injury issue last year. He had, like, he did have one kind of, like, I think it was a thumb or something, wasn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. And that caused him to miss, like, a few games. Yeah, but like he was, for the most part he was healthy, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he he actually hired a nutritionist and he he came into the season in great shape. And I think the difference is like Zion is Joel and B is what twenty seven, twenty eight, and Zion is twenty two. So and he's already found a nutritionist and he. He's already got a strength and conditioning coach that's got him in great shape from what we've seen. So I think he'll actually be healthier. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I'm rooting for the dude because, yeah, I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm I'm a Zion fan. He, like, one of my top three favorite players in the league right now. So uh, I just want to see him healthy, and I want to see him, like, dominate. And I think he will because, yeah, like, when he's on the court, I feel like can't nobody stop that dude. Yeah. I mean, that's been proven. I know he didn't play last year, but the year before when he was on the fifth court, 27-7, and seven, I mean, looked unstoppable. Now he has a better team that he's going to be joining once he comes back, who did make the playoffs and not won one of their playoff games against the Suns, I believe, in the first round. So it'll be exciting to see. Um, excited for football action. As you all know, go Tigers, go. Go Tigers, my LSU Tigers, Baltimore. Prove me wrong. Beat the Bills. Let's look great. And, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.